Hey there, welcome to Tea with Mara. Thanks for seeking out these recordings and listening. My name is George, or you may know me in the metaverse as Kiyoki from Together with Trip. These recordings are from my live sessions in virtual reality and may sometimes feature other content. For the best experience of these sessions, you can join me in virtual reality. But when you can't, or if you want to go back and listen again, these audio or video recordings will be offered freely to all. To join us in VR or for the live broadcast on our Discord server, you can find our full schedule of events by visiting trip.com events, including instructions on how to join us in VR. You can even join in 2D mode from a computer. If you wish to support my teachings and these recordings, the best way to do that is to leave a review and share this podcast with others. And if you find value in them and you want to, you can make a donation offering right through the Two Hands Sangha website or soon through the podcast itself. All links should be found in the show notes. Now let's invite the bell and begin. Good evening and welcome. Thank you all for showing up tonight and practicing together. Uh, I apologize, as I said several times already, I apologize in advance for my voice if it cracks or (laughs) if I cough suddenly or any of that stuff. I'm, I'm on the tail end of a nasty cold or something, and while I feel much better, I sound probably much worse, so... I guess one of the benefits of VR, though, is I can still teach and not have to worry about anybody getting sick. So that's good. At least not from sickness, maybe from my teaching. (laughs) I don't know, but you don't have to worry about social distancing. So that's cool. So on Monday, I talked about the qualities one should look for in friends, the difference in different kinds of friends and the different kinds of enemies who are disguised as friends as the Buddha taught. And though that was the main point, I also talked about the spiritual friend a little bit, which is the, the main difference between a regular friend and a spiritual friend, what they call a Kalyanamita, is the spiritual friend is similar to a regular friend, except their primary benefit and their primary purpose as a friend is always to help you stay true to your spiritual practice. They're never a yes man. They're not that kind of friend. If you're straying from your practice, it doesn't matter how much they like you, the Kalyanamita or spiritual friend will always tell you like it is with regard to your practice. In a timely, useful, truthful, and kind way, of course, but they won't ignore your behavior if that's taking you away from lasting happiness. And I reiterate all of that because tonight I'm going to carry on that conversation where we left off, but maybe a step further. Beyond just friendship and into the teacher-student relationship or the teacher-student friendship, as it might be. Even just what a teacher of the Dhamma even means. It's a unique and complex thing that is worthy of us exploring, maybe more important than any other thing except your own practice. Because if you devote yourself to a teacher and you choose unskillfully, it can derail your whole practice and even cause harm. 
to yourself at minimum and possibly to others as well. And that's actually the reason I wanted to talk about this tonight. There's, there is, I'm afraid, no shortage whatsoever of stories out there these days of teachers who have abused their power or are abusing their power, uh, causing great harm. And that part should be, but isn't always easy to see, fairly clear and easy to understand. If it were easy to understand, we wouldn't still be seeing fresh stories all the time regularly of teachers being exposed as, you know, whatever, gambling addicts or sexual abusers or anything like that. But what kind of landed me, you know, with this on my radar isn't really the extremes like that, which are certainly obvious crucial things to watch for and avoid. But something I'm seeing a lot more of these days, which is people who are taking up the role of teacher or coach or instructor or whatever the term is, uh, in whatever other words they might use for it. And I'm seeing so many people these days who take a mindfulness course or something along those lines, a life coaching course or whatever, and they're just hanging out their shingle and setting up shop so to speak, and uh, positioning themselves as some sort of a spiritual teacher in some way. And on the one hand, that's actually really wonderful. It should be. The old all ships rise on a high tide idea, you know, the more people trying means the more people succeeding, which should mean the more uh, spread of genuine practice out there in the world. So in that regard, it's a good thing, you know. But Also, I should point out that someone can have no training at all and still be a great teacher. And someone could have all the training in the world and still be a, you know, abuser or gambling addict or jerk, you know. So it's not really about the training alone. Training is great and valuable, but only when it's embodied. Only when it's taught by someone who embodies it, at least to the best extent possible, you know. Somebody who, I guess, is doing it in a way that inspires you, you know. So please don't DM me defending a particular teacher who's allegedly fully enlightened. That's not my problem. I don't want to. I don't want to even have that conversation. You can, of course, DM me. I just won't debate those sorts of things with people. It's not my point tonight, and and it's also not my decision to make. You're the one who has to discern whether a teacher is right for you or not. And you're the only one who can. So that's really your job. The problem is that one truly bad teacher, especially if they are charismatic or popular enough, they can do exponentially more harm than the few folks here and there who are genuinely trying to lead people to lasting happiness can do good. I wish it wasn't that way, but humans have a negativity bias. So one bad apple ruins the bunch. There's a reason that for that cliche, you know. It was a it was a sutta that the Buddha gave one time that I just talked about recently. As a matter of fact, it was called the counterfeit of the true Dhamma Sutta. And when the Buddha was asked, "How come we used to have a small sangha with few rules, and everyone seemed to be reaching lasting happiness?" And now we have a much larger sangha with many more rules, but fewer people are reaching lasting happiness. And the question was much more complex than that, but that was the basics of it. And the Buddha responds that there is the disappearance of the true Dhamma in the world 
when a counterfeit of the true Dhamma in the world has arisen. And his answer also is much more lengthy than that, but that's the short version of it. And he was saying that when beings are teaching something that they aren't living, or teaching something that they don't understand themselves, or teaching something that they don't embody, then, and you know, that's, those are really the most critical aspects of all, you know, someone who isn't, someone who is teaching, but doesn't understand, practice, or embody it. And that's the trifecta, you know, if you've if you got somebody that's doing all of those things, or not doing all of those things, then they're just parroting words back that they heard from other teachers, or from books they were, may have read, probably not, or they're parroting whatever chat GPT told them, or Worse, they're just making it up, you know, and that's when there's a real danger. And it's also what made me think to speak of this tonight. It's what I've been seeing a lot lately all around me because I have a tremendous network of sort of spiritual friends, not the Kalyanamita type, but people who are spiritual, I suppose, seekers. And I'm seeing sort of universally this high rise, this huge rise in people teaching things that they don't seem to understand themselves or that they don't seem to genuinely practice or that they certainly don't appear to be embodying. And that's what the Buddha was referring to when he said that the Dhamma would only die when a counterfeit Dharma arose in the world. So if that sort of teaching becomes more popular than the real thing, then we're going to lose the Dharma. And that hasn't happened in 2,700 years, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But it's definitely, just because we're in the information age, it's a much more serious thought, you know. And by the way, I'm not disparaging the benefits of artificial intelligence, so don't DM me about that either. <laughs> you can, but, you know, you don't need to. I know people who rely heavily on AI for writing, and it is great for research. Um, as long as you check your data, because AI is a liar. <laughs> I have tested it many times. It does not always tell you correct information. You have to check your data. But it's also just parroting information. All AI is doing is a better, faster job of parroting that information <laughs> than, than we can do. So when you ask AI some question, it's not giving you some amazingly intelligent answer. It's just reading faster than you can and, and spitting that back out. And it doesn't always do it accurately. It spits it out based on whatever it has, which might not be correct. And I have had extensive arguments with AI <laughs> and, and it ultimately admitted to me that it lies, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But, you know, that's the thing. It can be wrong. It's a great tool for a teacher to use, but it is not a great teacher. That's the important thing I'm trying to get across with AI. And again, it, it, it's pretty easy to see, at least right now, if someone is teaching you practices, you know, with a real sense of wisdom in their words, but they aren't really exhibiting that wisdom in their behaviors. Like if they're out there causing harm with their actions or teaching a practice that they don't seem to be an exemplar of themselves, be wary. Mind you that uh, nobody's perfect either. I mean, people, just because somebody teaches, say, patience, doesn't mean they're always patient because they teach it, you know. 
trust me, <laughs> I am not always patient. I am not always kind. I am not always these things. But I am actively trying to embody it all the time. I might fail, but I'm actively working at embodying it all the time. So part of this is that you don't want to go to a teacher like that, and you shouldn't aspire to be a teacher like that. In fact, I would say that you shouldn't aspire to be a teacher at all. It took me a long time to understand that because I did, and I kept getting told I shouldn't be a teacher. And I eventually understood that they were doing what I'm doing right now, which is telling you that if you're doing this because you want to be a teacher, you're in it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> And when that shift happens where you realize, oh, I'm not trying to be whatever I think a teacher is. I just want to share the Dharma with as many people as I can. That's when you're a teacher, you know. So there's no such thing as a perfect teacher amongst us humans. You look at people like the Dalai Lama, who is well revered. And even he, if, if you believe the very best of him, which I tend to. Even he makes mistakes that would seem to be beneath someone as wise as him and gets roasted for it, right? And rightly so. So teachers are not perfect and they shouldn't be expected to be. Imperfect teachers are not the problem. Imperfect teachers who pretend to be perfect are a problem. And so what we should expect from a teacher and what we shouldn't... Uh, and what makes a good teacher and how we might know whether or not they are worth learning from, worth respecting. Um, and why should we or should we not respect any particular spiritual teacher? I also recently talked a bit about how you, you, should also put, you should always put your faith in the teachings and not the teacher. And you hear me say that often. But following the teachings rather than the teacher doesn't mean that you can't or should not have respect for a teacher. Um, there's a sutta called the Nava Sutta, which says, it's, it means the boat sutta, the sutta of the boat. It says, honor the person from whom you would learn the teaching as the gods under, honor Indra, which sounds you know, awfully lofty if you ask me, but it goes on. He says, he says, then they will have confidence in you and being learned they reveal the teachings. So the key thing is there is having is being learned and having confidence that you're really interested in learning. That's what it's saying. It's not saying treat your teacher like a god and you know they'll be they'll they'll deign to teach you. It's saying that if you show the teacher that you're really interested in the Dharma and and they have that confidence in you and that teacher is learned, then they will share those teachings with you. He says, heeding well, a wise pupil practicing in line with what that, with that teaching grows intelligent, discerning, and subtle through diligently sticking close to such a person, but associating with a petty fool who falls short of the goal, jealous, then unable to discern the teaching in his life, one proceeds to death still plagued by doubts. In other words, if you follow the wrong teacher, you will not make it where you wanted to go. And that's what I'm kind of getting at tonight. By paying close attention to that teacher, what they teach and how they teach it, as well as how they exhibit those same qualities in their own lives when you hang out with them and you see how they behave and stuff like that, then you, you become wise yourself. And if you don't, you won't. It's like a man who has plunged into a river, a rushing torrent in spate. As they are swept away downstream, how could they help others across? 
Just so, one unable to discern the teachings who hasn't studied the meaning under the learned, not knowing it for oneself, still plagued by doubts, how could they help others to contemplate? But one who has embarked on a strong boat, equipped with a strong rudder and oar, would bring many others across there with skill, care, and intelligence. So too, one who understands a knowledgeable master, evolved, learned, and unflappable, can help others to contemplate so long as they are prepared to listen carefully. So, you could say that the teachings are the boat. One way of looking at this is the teachings are the boat. The teacher is the pilot of the boat, or the captain, as it were. And you need the boat, but without a captain, you still might not make it across. If you have the captain, but no boat, you're not going to get anywhere either. But if you see a good captain steering a strong ship, pay close attention and stick with them. Or if you see a good teacher teaching good things and embodying them, pay close attention and stick with them. That's, and it goes on, it says, that's why you should spend time with a good person, intelligent and learned, having understood the meaning, putting into practice, one who has realized the teachings may find happiness. And that's talking about you, not the teacher or both really. So the Buddha had a lot of things to say that you could apply to finding a good teacher and discerning that and, you know, not speaking specifically about teachers. The Buddha spoke about some of the qualities and criteria that are important for a spiritual teacher or mentor in many different teachings. He had several suttas that talked about this. Just a few of those are the Kalama Sutta, where he visits a group of people called the Kalamas. I've, I've talked about this one in here. They lived at a major crossroads and they constantly had wandering spiritual masters coming through, quote unquote masters coming through town, claiming the one true way, you know, and he came to town, the Buddha, and they had heard of him and they said, oh, he's supposed to be the real deal, the best. Let's ask him what to do because we're so confused. We have all these teachers coming and telling us theirs is the right way. And we'll ask him and see what he says. He'll probably say his is the right way. So they, uh, they ask him, uh, what to do. And he says, he says, trust your own direct experience. Do not trust what they tell you is right. And they said, well, so we should trust you. And he says, no, you should trust your own direct experience. And then if, if what I have told you is correct, then you can trust me. <laughs> so that's one of the great things about the Buddha. And one of the attractive things about Buddhism to me is it doesn't say, hey, this is the this is the one true way. He said, hey, here's here's a way that works and try it and see if it works. And if it does, then you can follow what I'm telling you. But otherwise, you can't trust what I say. You have to trust your own direct experience. Follow the teachings, not the teacher. In the Ambata Sutta, the Buddha discusses the qualities of a true Brahmin, which you can extrapolate as the qualities of a spiritual teacher. Qualities such as ethical conduct, wisdom, and the practice of meditation. Again, if you have a if you have a meditation teacher who doesn't meditate, except when they're teaching, then that's something to be wary of. And the qualities of a good spiritual friend also apply to a teacher as well. You know, there's a there's another one where the Buddha discusses the importance of wise questioning and investigation in learning, similar to the Kalama Sutta. He says any teacher should be open to scrutiny and capable of explaining the Dhamma clearly. And the key word there, in my opinion anyways, one of the main things a teacher is actually really good for is clearly, that clarity. 
if I constantly teach things in here and you never understand what I'm talking about, you should feel invited and welcomed to come to me and find me and ask for clarification and I will happily give you my time. And I have for many of you. And I will be happy to do that at any time. Um, and if my efforts to clarify don't work for you, I might be the wrong teacher for you. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm not a good teacher. It means that we're not a good teacher-student fit. If I'm not conveying the Dharma in a way that it is working for you, and you're learning from it and practicing it and learning from your direct experience, you need to find someone who does. Um, but they should be able to speak that clearly to you. And if you, if you don't understand it, that's fine. But if they can't, you know, try and try and try and, and, you know, explain it. One of the greatest things that the, it's often said the Buddha's one true superpower <laughs> was that he could, change the way he spoke to the group of people that he was speaking to in such a way that they would understand him. And that's why when he meets the, the people who worship fire, he gives the fire sermon. And he said, the world is on fire. He spoke in a language they really related to, you know, I probably convey the Dharma really well to, you know, pop culture music fans. <laughs> I don't know, but, but, you know, uh, if I'm not right for you, I'll help you find someone who is, you know, when I first started practicing, I was part of this large Sangha and they had almost a dozen great teachers. And I noticed, uh, I kind of cycled through each one of them one at a time. And I would decide, Oh, this guy talks too softly. And then I would go, Oh, she's new. What does she know? You know, or he's boring or that guy is depressing. Ugh, you know, and I would just go to the next teacher and, um, and in some ways, I was the problem, not them, <laughs> in most ways. <laughs> but also, it's no less true that for where I was in my practice, that those teachers, as good as they indeed were, some of them are among the best I've ever known, and uh, I love them to this day. Nonetheless, they were wrong for me at that time, because their peanut butter wasn't going with my chocolate, you know? So I would find someone who worked, and eventually... I would find another that worked better and on it went. And here's the funniest part. The ones that I disliked the most went on to be my favorite teachers. The ones I came back to and now they're still to this day, my favorite teachers because I wasn't ready for those teachers at the time. And now I hopefully am. So what does that teach me? Uh, to quote Taylor Swift, it teaches me, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me, <laughs> you know? So, uh, that's good to remember, you know? So yeah, the Buddha had plenty to help us with this. I'll, I'll close out with one last one. He talked about the Buddha taught these qualities for a Dharma teacher. He said, these are the qualities of a Dhamma teacher. It's not easy to teach the Dhamma to others. Ananda, he was talking to his right-hand man, Ananda, when he said this, he said, it's not easy to teach the Dhamma, I'm afraid. The Dhamma should be taught to others only when five qualities are established within the person teaching. Which five? The Dhamma should be taught with the thought, I will speak step by step. In other words, explaining clearly. The Dhamma should be taught with the thought, I will speak explaining the sequence of events, the cause and effect. The Dhamma should be taught with the thought, I will speak out of compassion. 
The Dhamma should be taught with the thought, I will speak not for the purpose of material reward. And the Dhamma should be taught with the thought, I will speak without disparaging myself or others. It's not easy to teach the Dhamma to others, Ananda. So, you see this happening even right here in our little niche part of relative reality, you know, where we're in virtual reality. Five years ago, when I got into VR, I couldn't find anything remotely related to, to meditation, which is what I came into VR to do. A few months later, COVID hit and I tried again. And this time I found one app and one community, Trip and this community. <laughs> and at that time, the two weren't related. Four years later, you can't throw a virtual rock without hitting a meditation app in VR, most of which are offering you uh, monthly subscriptions or, you know, purchases, in-app purchases, and the ability to become certified and, you know, all sorts of things. They're offering peer-to-peer -peer support groups, which is actually potentially a really good thing, but also can be dangerous if you're not careful. Nothing inherently wrong with it, just be cautious, you know. And again, with that, the teachings tonight will help you steer your ship through those waters, hopefully, when you are looking at those things. There's tons of new certified teachers coming along, and now there's people teaching whom I, I wouldn't even ask for the time of day. And that sounds horrible, but uh, I, I see this. I see people teaching meditations and, and teaching sort of quasi-spiritual stuff that they don't, you know... My discernment tells me, based on my direct experience, that they're not somebody I should go to, <laughs> put it that way. So that's really what inspired me tonight to talk about this, is it's truly wonderful that there are more potential teachers learning out there and teaching out there and more opportunities to learn and teach out there. But that means it's equally critical, more than ever, that you cast a discerning eye towards your teachers, towards your sources of learning and there's no there's there's nothing in life you can learn more valuable i think in my opinion than your spiritual path whatever that might be whether it's buddhism or anything it doesn't matter what it is but it's the probably the most important thing we do as people i'm a little biased because i i'm you know i'm all in on it <laughs> but i really i really believe that and if that's the most important thing you can do with your time is critical that you know how to discern these things and trust your own direct experience and don't even worry so much about the rest of that beyond your own experience just find a teacher that you can relate to who speaks in a way that makes the teachings easier for you to follow and most of all who embodies the teachings as well as possible my teachings tend to be sort of heartfelt and sometimes other people are more what they call dry in the Dharma, there's something called wet and dry practice and, you know, stuff like that. But there's another teacher out there who is a magnificent teacher. Guy's brilliant. And I love him very much. Uh, but he's, a, he's super psychology-based and very sort of clinical. And I love him and he's brilliant, but I can't listen to him for long because he's too technical and dry for me. I need a little heart in my, <laughs> in my practice, you know. Um, so I refer people to him when I think that that's what they need, you know. Anyhow, my, my 
Maybe my simple way of looking at all of this is a good teacher should only teach the Dhamma if they have a true desire to share it, in my opinion. Uh, and they should embody the Dhamma in a way that inspires you to do so. And one should only consider someone to be their teacher if they do these things. And everyone, teacher and student, should follow the teachings, not the teacher. Respect the teacher who does those things, learn from them, appreciate them, but never worship or idolize the person teaching. I think of a teacher as someone who knows more about something than I do and who lives that better than I do. So I want to emulate those qualities, not worship them. The best Dhamma teacher possible is your own direct, genuine experience, which was the Buddha's dying words, basically. And that leads to a state of lasting happiness. So let's go ahead and meditate. We'll end the talk there and get into some meditation. Go ahead and relax into, uh, let go into whatever posture you want to feel uh, sort of held in tonight, something that feels supportive. You can allow your eyes to close if you want to or keep them open, maybe sort of cast down a little bit so that you're not distracted easily. Take some deep breaths with some long, slow exhales and feel that flow through the body. Noticing anything that feels awkward, out of place, tight, you know, dis, any dis-ease in the body, whatever that might be. It could be the mind, it could be the body, but whatever in your experience is uh, not comfortable. Notice that for a moment. And then flip that around and notice all the things that you didn't just notice in your experience. In other words, everything that's good in your experience. So if you notice that your, you know, ankle hurts and maybe, you know, your bottom hurts a little bit sitting here, then notice that you have dozens of other parts of the body plus your mind <laughs> that are perfectly fine right now far outnumbering the bad things but we only notice the bad typically and that's okay just be aware of it <laughs> and you can Sort of look back or reflect on uh, the path you've taken to get here today to wherever wherever here is for you now in your spiritual path. For some of us, we're where we think is, you know, where we want to be. And for some of us, we're still looking. 
But what led you here today? Seeking guidance or wisdom or understanding or uh, answers or truth, reality. And just remind yourself of your purpose in that task. My teacher always talked about, what is your task? What is the task? Which is funny because in the Dharma, we always talk about not having a task. You shouldn't, shouldn't be striving, but at the same time, you're also striving. <laughs> so it's a weird paradox, and there's lots of these paradoxes in the Dharma. Yeah, you're not supposed to be clinging, but yes, you are absolutely pursuing an outcome. That's the conundrum. For some of us, not for everybody. Working to deepen our connection to the practice, whatever that may be. I call it the Dhamma, meaning reality. You can call it God or uh, Yahweh or Allah whatever it is for you. Whatever you call it is not incompatible with the Dhamma. Practicing, cultivating the discernment that you need in order to recognize true spiritual guidance. Noticing your breath coming and going, representing impermanence, giving you a, a constant reminder, a constant lesson, a constant teacher that you can always trust is your breath, your body, your mind. As soon as I said that, somebody in this room, probably several somebodies in this room, immediately thought, I can't trust my mind. Yes, you can. <laughs> Maybe you don't think so yet, but you can. You can trust it to be a mind. <laughs> you can trust your heart to beat. You can trust your lungs to, you know, expand and contract. Your blood to flow through your veins. And you can expect your mind to think. Until they don't. And then, you know, that's not the problem anymore. You can let your breath be an anchor. A place you can always come back to no matter what happens in meditation, no matter where you get lost, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what practice you're doing, you can always come back to the breath because it's always there. If it's not, then you're not. So you don't have to worry about it. It'll be there. Showing you impermanence. Showing you that you are of the nature to uh, age, to be sick as I am right now. <laughs> you are of the nature to grow old. You're of the nature to be sick. You're of the nature to experience death. And nothing you can do will escape those things. So far. 
everything and everyone that you love will one day be separated from you. That's why this is a solo practice that you do with other people, which seems weird, but that's why spiritual friends are the whole of the practice, as we talked about last week or earlier this week. And your actions are your only true belongings. The only thing that you can carry with you into another life, if there is such a thing, is the results of the actions you initiate here. Whatever you do now will eventually have an outcome, perhaps in this lifetime, perhaps in another one, who knows. We don't, and that's part of the point, right? That's why you trust your own direct experience. You can recall these qualities we discussed. You can think about what a teacher should be. Someone who speaks step by step, explaining the sequence and the cause and effect. Speaking to you out of compassion, not out of a desire for grandeur or, you know, to elevate themselves, certainly not out of pursuing wealth, nothing wrong with obtaining wealth. But if the wealth is the reason they're teaching spirituality, that's the wrong teacher. Not doing it for material reward and also not disparaging themselves or others. Something that's very difficult for all of us to work on. And reflecting on how these qualities show up in your own direct experience with aspirations that you have toward lasting happiness. You can imagine if you found a teacher who embodied all of these things, then what would you do? Observe their actions? Listen to their words. Mine will often be cuss words if you hang out with me outside of here. <laughs> it's always funny when somebody plays mini golf with me. They learn very quickly that I have not perfected the uh, release of anger yet. <laughs> And you would feel that person's compassion. You would notice how this visualization that you do affects your mind and heart when you think of having a teacher like that, that, that embodies those things and inspires you to pursue those things. That does not mean that that teacher is perfect. It means that they are better at it than you are. When you see someone who is more compassionate than you, who is working really hard to be so, and who is also only interested in you being able to do the same. That's their reason for teaching. And that's a person worth listening to. And yet, always trust the teachings, not the teacher. You know, always follow, I guess I shouldn't say trust, always follow the teachings, not the teacher. Sit right beside that wonderful teacher and learn from them. But trust your own direct experience first and foremost. And never theirs.
no matter what a teacher tells you. Don't doubt your own direct experience. I have a dear friend who comes to me constantly and uh, has an opinion of practice <laughs> that I do not share. And I say, no, it doesn't work that way. And they say, yes, it does for me. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And I don't really try to convince them. I just tell them what my experience is. And they tell me what their experience is. And we do really well together. We learn from one another. From one another. What more could you really ask for in a in a um, teaching, learning situation than to teach one another and learn from one another and be inspired by one another. You're still here? It's over. Go practice. Go. Chickala.